Father, may this text help us to want you more. May this text help us to sin less. We want to have a greater understanding of your sovereignty after walking through these three verses. We want to have greater strength to persevere after walking through these three verses. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Reveal him clearly to us today. Pull back the veil and give us eyes to see. You promised in these three verses we would be blessed for reading it and heeding it. We need that blessing. This is your letter to your local churches. You wrote it to them because you love them. Help this exposition to make us love the church more. To love the church as you love the church. Feed us from your hands now. This is our corporate plea. Amen. Greg Bill said there was a survey that asked church members from many different churches, which book of the Bible do you most want to hear preached? They responded, Revelation. The same survey asked a group of pastors, which book of the Bible do you not want to preach? They all answered, Revelation. This book both attracts and repels. It repelled one of the most famous pastors and strongest theologians in history, John Calvin. This was the only book of the Bible Calvin did not write a commentary on. But what Calvin left undone, let us finish. Where he was fearful to trod, let us walk. After all, he was a struggling theologian and, and we have far surpassed him. <laughs> Anytime I can, I like to do a drive-by on Calvin from the pulpit. I like to do that because some of you think he's part of the Trinity, and I always like to just bring him back down to earth. He didn't preach Revelation because he was scared, and I ain't scared. Now, Calvin and I are very, very close theologically on most things, but I just wanted to point out to you that I'm better. Uh, Revelation is a very strange book. After all, it's filled with lions and lambs, angels and demons, horses and dragons and ghoulies and ghosties and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. I read about a thousand pages just to prep for the first two sermons. I'm going to condense all of that into seven statements that help us exegete the first three verses and spread the table for the next 21 sermons. We will take them one at a time. And you may want to write them down. You will want to revisit these statements as you walk through the book each week. When I'm listening, I always like to take notes. Because the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. At the outset, let's get this straight. The book of, Ro the book of Revelation is within our grasp and for our benefit. The book of Revelation is within our grasp and for our benefit. The sportscasters always say of Alabama football that most of their opponents lose the game before they ever step on the field. They get intimidated by the name on the jersey and the coach on the sidelines. Don't come to this book with that mindset. I'm going to lose. No, 
you're going to understand this. This is within your grasp and for your benefit. Don't get overwhelmed. I'm going to guide you through the book. I'm going to take you by the hand and lead you to green pastures. You're going to be able to feast. You're going to come away full, not confused. God did not give us this book to confound us. It's not meant to confuse you or mystify you. God gave you this book not to obscure, but to unveil. And the very first thing I want to do is to inject you with confidence that you can understand this book. See, you're intimidated by this book because you've been exposed to poor exegesis from this book. Some preach revelation like a mystery, and it can only be unlocked by the elite. The book of Revelation was never intended to be the exclusive domain for theologians. Shame on pastors, and shame on theologians, and shame on any teacher who has taught it that way. Well, if, if you're really going to understand the intricacies of this book, you better leave it to the specialist. My wife told me the only thing that delivered her from that mindset was finally sitting under expository preaching where she found herself saying, I can see where he got that. Oh, I could have gotten that from that passage. Because she used to sit under preaching and think, wow, how, how did the pastor get that? He must be smarter than I am. I can never understand, but I'm, I'm glad he can. Some people teach revelation, and it's really just another form of Roman Catholicism. Keeping the book in the hands of the professionals and not in the hands of the people. This book, like every other New Testament book, is not reserved for the profound minds and deep thinkers. You've been lied to. You've been bamboozled. This book is for you. Now, are we going to have to work at it a bit? Yes. Are we going to have to have our vocab expanded? Yes. Are we going to have to familiarize ourselves with a unique genre? Yes. But it's there for us. It's reachable. It's attainable. Hey, new Christian, only been saved three weeks. You can understand this book. Children, this book is not merely for adults. You will be able to understand this. You will be able to grasp this. The book of Revelation is within our grasp and for our benefit. Statement number two. To understand the book of Revelation, you need the Old Testament, not a newspaper. To understand the Old Testament, to understand the book of Revelation, you need the Old Testament, not a newspaper. I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. I am not preaching this book because of something that is happening in the world. I didn't read something in the newspaper or watch something on Fox News and suddenly it triggered me, whoa, I better preach through Revelation. In other words, I'm not saying, well, this COVID madness is getting crazy. It's, oh my, it's getting crazy out there. I got to preach Revelation and make sure people are ready. It's been crazy for 2,000 years. How first world can you be? Visit another country. Read a history book. 
Do not interpret this book with the newspaper. You don't point to a current event and then point to a verse in Revelation and claim they are the same. That's what you call newspaper eschatology. Headline hermeneutics. Part of what has convinced you that this book is difficult to understand is the wild and speculative preaching you've heard from it. Hal Lindsey and others said that the locust plague in the book refers to Apache helicopters and the demonic horsemen to tanks and the many-headed beast to a world leader. <laughs> a, a man in his 40s came in my office on Friday and he was laughing thinking back about when he was in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher told him that barcodes were the mark of the beast. <laughs> the reformers thought the beast and the whore were the Catholic Church and the Pope, while Gog and Magog were the Turkish armies threatening Europe. During Nazi Germany, many were convinced Adolf Hitler was the red horse. John Hagee, well, I don't even have enough time to deal with him and his wild end-time charts. We all know Revelation brings out the crazies, which is why some of you are visiting today. Welcome. <laughs> brings out the crazies and all their swirling controversies. The Canadian theologian D.A. Carson said, Of the writing of books on Revelation, there is no end. Most generations produce far too many. It is a little-known fact that the Puritans, for instance, produced far more commentaries on Revelation than any other book, most of them eminently forgettable and mercifully forgotten. Something similar could be said about most periods of church history, including our own, which seems to be particularly inventive. Some of you are non-Christians. I just want to speak to you. Non-Christian... I don't blame you for laughing at some of the stuff you hear from Christians on Revelation. I mean, it's ridiculous. But don't let that keep you from finding what the book really says. Revelation is not a jigsaw puzzle with thousands of pieces. It was a book written to local churches. And we can easily find the author's intent and so be true to the book. My goal is to unload some of the baggage you've carried around with Revelation. Revelation has been taken from us by bad teaching. Some have made it a book of fear. Fear for the future. And in it, they are no different than the major news outlets. They want to keep everyone fearful. It's fear porn. People are addicted to it. They can't stop watching it. It's paranoia. It's scare tactics. That was never the intention of this book. It was written to struggling Christians and was meant to infuse courage within them. The purpose of this book was to strengthen the faith of the followers of Christ, not to instill fear. The intent was not to titillate our imaginations to wild speculative future events. We don't go to this book to satisfy eschatological curiosity. Revelation is a letter written to churches that are under attack. <laughs> and telling them that Hitler centuries later would be the red horse just doesn't line up. Telling them that barcodes are the mark of the beast just doesn't bring comfort. 
These people were not sitting in their luxurious homes making elaborate end times charts. They were fighting for their lives. Throw away the newspaper. Delete your news app. Because none of that will help you understand the book of Revelation. But what you do need is the Old Testament. And virtually every line of Revelation is a quote or an allusion from the Old Testament. You must read this book backward. Reading Revelation toward the Old Testament. And no one agrees on the exact number of Old Testament references. But Davy and, and J. Mac mentioned that 278 of the 404 verses are references to the Old Testament. One scholar cataloged them all and said that the book of Revelation, notice this, mentions or alludes to Genesis 13 times, Exodus 27 times, Leviticus 4 times, Numbers 3 times, Deuteronomy 10 times, Joshua, Judges, and 2 Samuel, one each, 1 Kings, six times. 1 Chronicles and Nehemiah, one each. Psalms, 43 times. Proverbs, two times. Isaiah, 79 times. Jeremiah, 22 times. Ezekiel, 43 times. Daniel, 53 times. Hosea, two times. Joel, eight times. Amos, nine times. Habakkuk, once. Zephaniah, twice. Zechariah, 15 times. And Malachi, once. You understand Revelation by reading it backwards. Revelation contains more Old Testament references than any other book in the New Testament. Eugene Peterson said, everything in the book of Revelation, everything in the book of Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. Statement number three. The book of Revelation gives us high Christology. You should know and love Jesus better because of your study. The book of Revelation gives us high Christology. You should know and love Jesus better because of your study. Now I told you earlier that this book was not meant to conceal, but to reveal. Notice verse 1. The revelation. Let's stop here. This word revelation in the Greek is apocalypse. It's used 18 other times in the New Testament. It means laying bare, to make naked, to reveal. This gives us the purpose of the book, to uncover something, to unveil something formerly hidden. And, and this is one unveiling, not multiple unveilings. There is not an S on the end of the word. Revelation, not revelations. It's just one apocalypse, one revealing, one revelation. You, you know when, many of you have children. Many of you have like 20 children, but many of you have children. And, and, and you know when you have children, they try to hide under a blanket. And you walk into a room and, and act like you can't find them. Oh, where are they? Where are they? Where is Abigail? I can't find Abigail. And then you take the corner of the blanket and you apocalypse. You unveil, you uncover, you reveal what was previously hidden. But what in Revelation is being revealed? Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus 
Christ. This book is designed to unveil Jesus Christ. When Simeon held infant baby Jesus, he said, a light to lighten the world. A light to, same word, a light to apocalypse the world. Unveil to the world. God unveiling himself to the world. A revealing of Jesus. One of my mentors said it so well. He said, do not ever forget as you scramble through these pages, looking at signs and bowls and trumpets and resurrections and judgments and wars and visions, that this book is at its highest point a revelation of Jesus Christ. Has as its grandest theme the person Jesus Christ. Uncovers its greatest treasure, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Builds upon its most profound thesis, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Above everything, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus, not to spark eschatological debates or to build underground bunkers. Isn't it ironic that the book of the Bible, that means revealed, unveiled, open, is considered by most to be concealed, veiled, closed, the most closed book of the Bible. The title of this book is not the mystery of Jesus Christ or the puzzle of Jesus Christ, but the revealing of Jesus Christ. This entire book gathers around to exalt him. It shows that all things culminate in him. The writer is saying to you, I want you to meet Jesus. It blows my mind that Erasmus had questions about this book's profitability for the church. He called it cloudy. Even Martin Luther said, Christ is neither taught nor known in the book of Revelation. What? Hey, Marty Mart, are we even reading the same book? There's high Christology here and all throughout every chapter. The purpose of this book was not evangelistic. It was not written to convert non-Christians. It was written to pour iron in the spine of Christians. So I get that. I understand that. But any time Jesus Christ is revealed, something happens. Non-Christians, hear me. When you begin to see Jesus for who he truly is, your only rightful response is to fall in repentance of sin and submit to this Christ. I fully expect the book of Revelation to make some of you believers. Now, whose revelation is this? There's, a, there's an old gospel song entitled John the Revelator. Last week I listened to it again and prepped for this sermon. Any of you ever heard it? Uh, last week I listened to Bill Gaither with his fake hair singing it. And he said, Up on the Isle of Patmos, a man was cast one day. As he was left alone to die, he began to pray. The Holy Ghost came on him. The Spirit, he came down. He began to write about the things he saw. The revelator's name was John. Well, I have a problem with that. 
John wasn't the revelator. He didn't pick up the blanket and unveil. God did. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that's Jesus, to show to his servants. This book did not originate with human beings. There is a supernatural chain of transmission. God the Father gave these words to Jesus Christ, his son, and Jesus gave them to an angel. So in one sense, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. In another sense, it's also a revelation from Jesus Christ. God the Father to Jesus the Son to an angelic being to John. Notice the end of verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. This is John, one of the twelve apostles. This is John who is in the inner circle of three. This was John who sat next to Jesus in the upper room. This was John whom Jesus loved. This was John who was the only disciple to appear at the cross. This was John whom Jesus entrusted the care of his mother, Mary. This was John who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John presents himself as the recipient, as the recipient, not the author. He is the penman, not the revelator. Notice verse 2. John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This was the chain of revelation. God the Father, to Jesus the Son, to the angel, to John, and as we will see next week, to seven churches. It's a five-step process. A sequence of unveiling. John is a witness, not the author or revelator. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? John, yes. John bore witness to everything he saw. He's a witness. Statement number four. The book of Revelation is not just something for theologians to sit around and smoke pipes and debate about. It impacts the way you live day to day. Let's unpack this, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. You've heard of the Beatitudes in Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, this is the beatitude in Revelation. Blessed are those who read this book. There are six other beatitudes like this in Revelation for a total of seven in the book, but we are only concerned with this one right now. John would give this letter to seven churches. And in each church, there would be a public reader. Someone in the congregation who had a proficiency in the art of reading. Who read with expression and passion and clarity. Most likely reading the whole letter in one sitting. The book of Revelation was to be read in the context of worship. It's... It's hard to unpack this Greek word blessed with one English word. Or really, honestly, with any English word. We don't always know what this blessing looks like. It seems to be internal and for eternity. 
It gives your soul something to feast on during trouble. It gave these first readers hope and, and the perspective they needed to persevere. Notice as verse 3 continues. And blessed are those who hear. How blessed the reader and how blessed the hearers. Kevin DeYoung points out that most in the congregation would have been illiterate. They could not have read on their own. So they needed a reader. Verse 3 continues. And who keep what is written in it. How blessed the reader, how blessed the hearers, how blessed the keepers of these words. Now, this is not three different groups of people. Those who read, those who hear, those who obey. This is all one group. There's no promised blessing if you just read words on a paper. Or if you just hear words read. The blessing comes when you keep the words. For those who maintain fidelity to the book of Revelation, they will be blessed. This blessing is not unconditional. You only get it if you obey it. And the last few words of verse 3, for the time is near. Now, <laughs> I know this phrase is debated. I will not go through all the positions. I will just tell you what it means. Time is just about up. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ inaugurated a long and coming kingdom. Jesus is coming again. This is an eschatological phrase. This phrase used here and in other places is usually associated with some ethical imperative. See, the book of Revelation doesn't make you fanatical. It makes you faithful. This divine disclosure demands an ethical response. The emphasis of this book is ethical. It's a call to obey. God gave you this book not so that you can fill your head but so that you can change your life. There are obligations, imperatives we must obey. Don't you see how our generation and the two before us have missed it? They have looked at the book of Revelation as something to know and not to obey. This expositional series should not make the head fat, but the heart holy. Every portion of the Bible is aimed for life change. Whenever the Bible talks about what theologians call eschatology or, or the end times, its concern is always ethics. It concerns your behavior. Eschatology makes us holy, not haughty. And it's always practical. It's always designed to teach us how to live in the here and now. I echo Azertia. <laughs> you may have never heard an expository sermon before today. You may have never heard the word eschatology. You may not know one word in Greek. But you will know I have preached this text wrongly if it does not change the way you live. The book of Revelation is not just something for theologians to sit around and smoke pipes and debate about. It impacts the way you live day to day. Statement number five. Once you've figured out how to interpret the genre, you're 90% of the way to understanding Revelation. Revelation as a genre 
stands on its own. I think revelation is its own unique genre. To some, it can seem like revelation speaks a foreign language when compared to the rest of the Bible. And here's why it can seem that way. Revelation is three genres in one. Three types of literature in one. And John tells us what type of literature this is. It is first an epistle, a letter. You see that in verse 4 and verse 9, verses we will deal with next Sunday. The whole book is a single letter written to actual local churches. It opens with I, John, and refers to the churches by name. It has a framed salutation and conclusion, just like all of Paul's letters. You need to realize that Revelation is a letter, an epistle. It is secondly, a prophecy. It reveals things that will soon take place. What is about to happen in God's redemptive program? In this way, John stands in a long line of Old Testament prophets. Think of prophecy as, thus says the Lord. Prophecy is sometimes, but not always, about the future. Many times, prophecy is a warning to turn from sin. Or it's a comfort to those who are being persecuted. Prophecy holds us accountable. Revelation is a letter... It is a prophecy, and it is thirdly, apocalyptic, which is the very Greek word for revelation. So revelation is mainly apocalyptic. Apocalyptic is really an intensification of prophecy. It can get fuzzy around the edges and overlap with prophecy. Because there are three genres, revelation poses unique interpretive challenges. But it's nothing we can't handle. The bulk of the book is apocalyptic. And you may be wondering, Kyle, what in the world is apocalyptic? <laughs> well, remember when I said we might have to expand our vocab? This is one word you need to learn. Goldsworthy says all disciplines and specializations have some technical terms. This is one technical term that you're going to need to familiarize yourself. And you say, wait a minute, back up, Kyle. I don't know if I can handle that. If you can book a flight to another state, rent a car, reserve a hotel, and figure out how to pay your taxes each year, then you can handle apocalyptic literature. If you're a baseball fan and can understand how to calculate batting averages, then you can handle apocalyptic literature. If you're a mom and you have clothes that currently fit your rapidly growing children for more than three days, then you can handle apocalyptic literature. If you're a senior citizen and you've learned to navigate this new world with emails and iPhones and YouTube, then you can handle apocalyptic literature. If you're a nerd and you can explain what a horcrux from Harry Potter is, then you need professional help. Heard has told me that we have counselors on standby. <laughs> Apocalyptic as a genre may not be familiar to us, but it was very familiar to the original readers. It may be an alien genre to you, but it was Monday for the first readers. 
Revelation belongs to a genre of literature that was not uncommon to Christians and non-Christians in the first and second century. It was literature with heavy symbolism, creatures, numbers, horns, people in the likeness of animals, historical events represented in the form of natural phenomenons like earthquakes or a flood, colors and numbers have meaning. Apocalyptic literature had symbolic imagery. Now, it may be helpful as we progress through the book for you to write this phrase down. Apocalyptic literature is symbolic writing designed to unmask. Apocalyptic literature is symbolic writing designed to unmask. And in fact, the very phrase, Jesus made the revelation known by sending his angel to John. Those words, Jesus made it known in verse 1, is used six times in the Bible. And it means communicated by symbols. Make known through symbols, images. Apocalyptic literature was the popular writing style in the first century. It was in vogue. One pastor said he had 1,000 pages of early Jewish and Christian apocalyptic literature on his desk from this time period. And they all have common themes. One, given by an angelic being. Two, highly symbolic. Three, dealing with the ultimate battle of good and evil. This group of writings flourished between 200 B.C. and A.D. 100. There was standard apocalyptic language that everyone understood. First and second Enoch. Second and third Baruch. Apocalypse of Abraham. Apocalypse of Zephaniah. Sections of Jubilees. The Testament of Levi. The Testament of Abraham. Shepherd of Hermas. It's not within the realm of my responsibility to hash out if these other apocalyptic writings were legit or not. I just want you to see that God with apocalyptic literature is creating pictures in the minds of the hearers. And you might wonder how illiterate people could understand this letter. How could they possibly get it? They didn't have commentaries or online programs or seminaries. But they had some advantages over us. They didn't have TVs. <laughs> they could think with words. But we are not an image-heavy people in how we learn. We are not an image-heavy people in how we learn. We are a fact-driven people in how we learn. The 21st century mind can cope more easily with letters and narratives than symbols. Visual imagery dominates this book. Revelation is a book to be seen. It's seen with words. These images are evocative. The book aims at the imagination. Psalms aim at the heart. Revelation aims at the imagination. D.A. Carson told Azertia, he said, the single greatest failure among modern scholarship is the neglect of teaching genres. We are teaching Proverbs as if they are promises, Psalms as though they are history, reading Revelation like we read Romans. Revelation is not a historical account like Acts or 1 Samuel. 
how could nearly illiterate people understand this book with all its images? John is directing them back before he directs them forward. You can't understand Revelation unless you understand the Old Testament. He wants the readers to find the symbols he's using back in their Old Testaments and look up the meanings. These images and symbols aren't random. There is familiar fertile imagery in other Jewish apocalyptic literature of the day and in particular in their inspired Old Testaments. Remember all those Old Testament mentions in Revelation I showed you? Remember what Peterson said? Everything in the book of Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. When you hear the number seven, you go back to creation, which was seven days. When you hear of a slain lamb, you go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. When you read of beasts, you go back to Daniel and his beasts. When you read of robes, you think of the Old Testament priesthood horns back to the old testament book of daniel when you read of a red horse and black horses go to go to zechariah with his red horses and black horses the first readers had categories for all these images they were not unfamiliar to them we don't have those categories in our culture or in our literature but we can find what they meant to them let me let me illustrate <laughs> Let's say you left a, a journal of notes before you died. And 2,000 years later, someone found your journal and wrote a book about your journal. In your journal, you wrote, After church, I went to eat at the Golden Arches. Well, 2,000 years later, they write, Well, this was an occultic practice after worship. The worshiper stepped outside and there was a massive golden arch built of pure refined gold and they ate before the God of gold. And you'd be like, what? What, what I meant was I went to McDonald's and ate a Happy Meal after church. Golden arches. What if you wrote that in November, the donkey and the elephant will again do their four-year battle? 2,000 years later, only those well-versed in American cartoon will understand that you were speaking of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party during election season. The first readers had categories for these images, these symbols, just like you have a category for golden arches and a red, white, and blue cartoon donkey and elephant. Now, I said all of that to say this. Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. It was written for us, but not to us. While this book has much to say to us, the book's meaning must be anchored in what God first wrote to those people. Now, another little interesting tick with apocalyptic literature, and specifically here in Revelation, is that this material is not linear. It's not tight chronology. <laughs> There's an earthquake and everything is destroyed. Turn the next page. Oh, wait, there are mountains? I thought everything was destroyed. It's not what happens next, but what John sees next. It can be out of order. 
apocalyptic literature may also show the same thing from different perspectives. The theologians call this recapitulation. You don't need to know that word. But the theologians call this recapitulation. It, it may repeat itself and talk about final judgment again and again. In chapter 6, 9, 11, 14, 19. The same theme may be examined again and again. Statement 6. We're going to zoom out just a bit. The book of Revelation is a worship manual. I just want to prime the pump here and get you excited about what's awaiting us. The book of Revelation is a worship manual. It teaches you about true worship, authentic worship, pure worship. Did you know that there are more musical worship scenes in the book of Revelation than you have in any other book of the Bible? Music plays a larger role in this book than any other New Testament book. Revelation is hymn-laden. There are 15 hymns or hymn fragments in the book. Revelation 5, 7, 11, Revelation 12, 15, 16, 19, Revelation 4. Worship scenes are scattered throughout the book. And here's, here's what bothers me. All these books and movies and commentaries on Revelation, do you know what they all neglect? Musical worship. Hymn singing. What are the common elements in all these worship scenes scattered throughout Revelation? Well, they're saying hallelujah. They're raising their hands above their shoulder. They're bowing down. I think maybe even waving palm branches, singing very loudly. Is this how we worship? I'm not saying bring palm branches in here next Sunday. We have security. You will probably get tased. But let's just be as basic as we can. Are your lips moving? They do a lot of singing here. Does the context of our singing reflect those songs? What characterizes all the songs in Revelation? I think you can, you can summarize them into three. They sing to God as creator. They sing to Jesus as savior. They sing to Jesus as judge. They sing to God as creator. They sing to Jesus as savior. They sing to Jesus as judge. We need to be singing songs that present God as creator, savior, and judge. Their songs are deeply theological, and this is what I found was interesting, their songs carry a storyline. When we sing, we're engaging in war. When, when they are singing in Revelation, they are not only singing toward God, but they're singing against other gods. They're singing toward God, but against other gods. Later today, if you have time, read through some of the worship songs in Revelation. And here's what you will find. It will be shocking. <laughs> These songs are not about you and how you feel. They are about God and His greatness. How many songs do we sing in churches today that we would be unable to sing in eternity? Well, that's a big problem. 
If we can't sing them then, we need to stop singing them now. One of the guys I like to read after said, Revelation will stop things like church people saying, Well, I really like the worship at so-and-so's church. Oh, I, I, I really like pianos. Well, I, I really like guitars. Well, I only like whatever. And, and it will become, how can our worship be as theologically rich and heartfelt as the worship scenes in Revelation? Now, I'm so glad we don't have to deal with that trash around here. But we do have some areas in which we can approve. We don't want to worship with emotional empty-headedness or emotionless empty-heartedness. This is not original with me. We do not want to worship with emotional empty-headedness or emotionless empty-heartedness. Final statement. The book of Revelation will reinforce that God is sovereign over every speck of human history. You will come away with this. <laughs> After you finish the book, you're going to come away saying, God exercises his control over the course of human history. Friend, no matter what it looks like on earth, no matter how oppressed the church may be, no matter how wicked leaders may prove, no matter how broken your heart is, God's purposes will not be derailed. We are all headed towards something, towards someone. We shall soon be before the throne, and it will be very clear when we look back, God was reigning over all of that. Oh, there's so many wonderful themes awaiting us in the book of Revelation. The futility of Satan assaulting God's people, but ultimately being assaulted by God. The work of the Holy Spirit sometimes seems peripheral at first, but he's moving in this book. The gospel mission, some from every kindred, tribe, and nation, God is harvesting. He's gathering his own. The perseverance of the saints, maintaining their witness in a messed up world. All that and more awaits us in the next 21 weeks through Revelation. And if I don't see you before the throne, I'll meet you here next week as we open God's word, beginning in verse 4. Let's stand and pray together. You have helped us today, Father. You have tenderly ministered to us. We come away from these three verses with expectation. Expectation for the rest of the book. And expectation for your ultimate reign. You... You have our complete allegiance. Come quickly. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. 
We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.